0: Sports Social with Ed Easton here on Soundcast FM. We are live from Brooklyn, New York. It's a Thursday. Throwback Thursday for some people. Or just a regular Thursday, I don't know. Ed Easton here. Miss Naomi Gray is here. Yes. (laughs) And it's another beautiful day. and I have to always acknowledge it because it is the summer, but I've I've enjoyed the summer so far. I feel like it's been the, the right type of sunny. Yes, we had a couple of days where it was just too hot. Yeah. You know. But I, I like this. I, I think there's a, you know, it's been a pretty nice flow. It hasn't been a heat wave. Because that's what you got to worry about. When it's a heat wave, when it's like 100 degrees every single day, and we're getting all these warnings about stay out of the heat, you know, look out for the elderly and the children. You know, you always get those. Feed your pets. But this, was been, this is nice weather. I just had to put that out there. Also, what I got to put out there is the fact that we have a very different type of show. Because... We're in that weird time of sports where there aren't really big hot-button issues out there. Now we have a hot-button issue that deals with WNBA, but it doesn't necessarily deal with what happens on the court. And the WNBA, I think three teams, they took a stand in regards to uh, what's going on around the world with um, the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, just the different violence that's been going on between police and, you know, let's be honest, African-American men. And they recently got fined. Uh, I believe it was, you said $500 fines for the players? For the players
1: and $5,000 for the team.
0: So that's just a whole other pay scale because it's the WNBA. They don't make too much money. Right. Now, this episode of, well, this segment of the gray area with Miss Naomi Gray, you're going to tackle that whole situation, what, what actually was done with the players and why they did it. And also, I don't know if you're gonna mention the whole "All Lives Matter" thing from the uh, from the Staples Center. Like, whose idea was that? Yeah. Because, in my opinion, if you if you could do that, then you shouldn't be mad at players for voicing their opinions on T-shirts. Mhm. Because isn't that a contradiction?
2: Yeah.
0: That's that's the last time I checked. That's what that was. But who am I? But uh, we'll definitely discuss that. Also baseball hall of fame this sunday mike piazza the great new york met who i know him for his one day as a florida marlin he's going into the hall of fame along with ken griffey jr ken griffey jr was two votes away from being the only unanimous um unanimous hall of fame vote like he, he always got all vote. he had like 99.7 percent of the vote to get into the baseball hall of fame is extremely hard it's the toughest out of all the sports they only let in sometimes one player, two players a year. Because you have to get 75% of the vote. So Piazza gets in, I think this is like his third try. Griffey on his first try, obviously was going to get in. You got you to gotta think about, to make the Baseball Hall of Fame, number one criteria, you can't have done steroids or been caught for steroids or any type of allegations, because that automatically writes you off. Yeah. Mark McGuire, Barry Bonds, Sammy Sosa, all are not in the Hall of Fame. Roger Clemens will not make the Hall of Fame. Steroids. That's, beyond. you're cheating. You know, you can't be allowed in for cheating. Alex Rodriguez, when he retires, will not make the Hall of Fame, even though he's about to get 700 home runs. Ken Griffey Jr. has about 600, 600 or so home runs. Probably could have had more if he wasn't injured for like three or four years. One of the greatest baseball players ever. And I, there's no exaggeration with that. The guy was a gold glove winner. He hit 50 home runs a year without steroids. Clean his entire career. He had injuries. That was the only thing that held him back. But uh, just a great all-around player. He was the face of the sport for most of the '90s. Uh, I'm talking about like Wheaties, uh, Gatorade, Nike. You name it, he endorsed everything. He was on episodes of *The Fresh Prince of Bel Air*. He was on uh, in movies. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie *Little Big League*. He was in that as well. The guy he brought like this new like, you know how we talk about. The late Stuart Scott for the hip hop, you know, like things he would say and just the cool sayings that he had while he was doing center Griffey was like that with baseball. He was the guy during like home run derbies or batting practices, having the backwards cap, you know, hitting home runs. I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if you were, because uh, you weren't really a big baseball fan, but he was the first guy to, you know, really be like that. He won the home run derby, I think, back to back years everybody wanted to be like king griffey jr at least that's what i remember growing up it was him and Derek jeter everybody wanted to be like them too and griffey i think it's a shame that he wasn't the guy to break the record everybody thought he was gonna break the home run record he still hit over 600 something home runs that's a lot of home runs only like 10 players have hit more and i'm thinking you know obviously and i think eight of them were on steroids so put that in perspective he was um, a one-of-a-kind player, and the fact that he became, he came two votes short of being the only 100% unanimous Hall of Fame you know, inductee is insane. So I, I'm looking forward to just talking more about that. And then you got Mike Piazza, who basically, outside of the Yankees and Derek Jeter, he was number two when it came to New York sports and baseball. Everybody remembers his classic, legendary home run, the very first game after the 9-11 tragedy and terrorist attacks in New York City. The very first game in New York was in Shea Stadium. The Mets are in a playoff race. They're down by, I think it was like two runs or so. And the guy hit a home run that not only got the Mets to win, but it just woke up the city. Like, everybody talked about that home run, how it just uplifted the city and, and really... Got that confidence back, you know? And it was a night where people would show up to the ballpark afraid. This is right after 9-11 happened. Um, quite arguably the greatest hitting catcher of all time. Defensively, everybody used to joke on him because he had no arm. He could never throw anybody out. But all the big hits, all the big moments. He was the face for a Mets franchise that was reeling for years. Got him to a World Series against the Yankees in 2000. Obviously, they lost. But, uh... He was the guy and, and it's just funny to me how he started his career with the Dodgers and I, and you know he got traded to the Mets in that weird way, but yeah he's gonna forever be known as a Met and he's gonna go into the Hall of Fame as a Met even though he spent like six years with the Dodgers. It's just these are like the two best guys to go into the Hall of Fame. I was this close from going this year. I thought about it but I changed my mind. I'm definitely going for Jeter. when Jeter goes in four years, I'm making a trip up to Cooperstown and I'm going. But um, Ken Griffey Jr., one of my favorite players. For me, it was always him or Jeter. But uh, I'm just happy that he's going in. Piazza going in as well for all the Mets fans that will be crowding Cooperstown because a Met is finally going into the Hall of Fame. You know, it's been a while for those guys. So it's definitely a big deal. So I'm going to go and talk too much about that. Like, I've been talking a lot in this monologue about it. Uh, (laughs) Also, Odell Beckham. In the NFL, he had more, more things to say about his good friend Josh Norman. He talks about how Norman, he made Norman relevant with the whole fighting situation he had in that Carolina Panthers game. I, I think he should just leave it alone, but we'll discuss more about that. Also, Jeff Gordon, the Rainbow Warrior Jeff Gordon, just retired from NASCAR late last year, is going to now suit up again in an injury replacement role for Dale Earnhardt Jr., who's out with a concussion for two weeks. They're going to have Gordon fill in for two weeks. So he's coming out of retirement to race in somebody else's car. Um, you know, it's different because we're so used to Jeff Gordon in the number 24 car. He'll be in Earnhardt's car. And everybody in NASCAR, that's a big deal. I know for us who may not be huge NASCAR fans, it's like, okay, so another guy driving another guy's car. Jeff Gordon is the equivalent, for, especially for his time. I say he was like the equivalent to being... I don't know, Hakeem Olajuwon was in the NBA. In terms of a champion, amongst all these other greats, he raced against Earnhardt Jr., raced against his father, raced against everybody. One of the greatest, uh, I think it was like a four-time champion. And he just retired last year. It was actually in the, um, in the announcing booth. He's been calling races the entire year this year, and now he's just going to be like, all right, well, I'm going to fill in and race these two races just until Earnhardt Jr. comes back, so... We're going to discuss some other famous comebacks. Uh, I'm pretty sure we'll talk about another guy who used to wear 23 and then turned to 45, which then turned back to 23. But you know who I'm talking about, so we'll probably bring him up as well. And one more thing that I'm actually going to handle right now. Winifer, I think it name is Fernandez, right? That's the name. Better known on the internet as Volley Bay, is the volleyball player for the uh, Dominican Republic national team that's going to be going to Rio in the Olympics. She's not making headlines because of her talent right now, it seems like it is because she is beautiful. Yes, she's a beautiful woman, but now it's 100% because of her looks. They everyone seems to have found this picture of her like laying down and you know her well, her butt is, is sticking out. And she's automatically become a sensation that was trending at one point on the internet. Now my thought is, okay, she is a beautiful woman, but how sick are we if we are over sexualizing this woman and she's an athlete playing for her country's honor, you know, basically trying to go out there and win a gold medal, and we're we're basically breaking her down to be a sexual object. And this is not something that's new. It's it's just that I, I just find it really weird that we are paying more attention to this woman. We don't even know her stats. We don't know how good she is. We we don't know anything, only because of how she looks. But yet yeah, we you know we constantly want all these these equal rights and, and and we talk a big game about oh man like you know everybody needs to matter. Um, we need to to really be conscientious of what we say and what we do. This became such a thing. Like, we, I think we had Prison Bay not too long ago. You know, there was a guy version and a girl version. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, there was both. There was two versions of it. But now we do it with the volleyball player from the Dominican Republic. And I've seen the comments. You know, some girls, like, were tweeting about it. Some guys were tweeting about it. Obviously, say they would marry her, all these things. You know, the usual. I even saw some girls say, like, oh, but well, she's not really Dominican. What? <laughs> this is really happening? my point is all of this is being said but yet no one said one thing about this girl's talent I looked at every comment it was about a thousand of them not one thing about her her talent all I know is she's Volley Bay. that's it I just think that we, we gotta do better and I am putting this on men and, and, and a little bit on women as well because there were some women that were encouraging the situation too There are women out there now that are confused. And I'm talking about younger girls that are looking at this like, all right, if I'm going to get the attention like that, let me look good. Let me, you know, over-sexualize myself as well, which should not be, that should not be the case. I go back to the Breonna Stewart Espy speech and how she said, you know, there's no exposure and the WNBA deserves more. And we just talk about the $500 fine. It's because of situations like this. You're forcing them to say, okay, if you're gonna, if you want exposure, you gotta be sexy. You gotta have this. You gotta be trying to um, put yourself out there and reveal yourself more. I think that's extremely offensive, and I'm not a woman, and, and I feel like it's offensive. Nothing. It, it, it seems like this situation is never gonna get better because where's the outrage? I would like to actually see this, and I'm not. Trying to you know put it out there in terms of forcing people to do it, but I would like to see a women's team or even both teams, like let's say the WNBA, all players come out with shirts that say, you know, talk about these situations. Because this isn't talked about enough either. Being oversexualized, being forced to say you gotta look a certain way. It's I think it sucks. We're not seeing these women's talent, we're not seeing the talent of the women that we're talking about here. People know who Skylar Diggins is because she's beautiful. She's a talented player, very talented. But if you would talk to like a regular person on the street, show a picture of her, and they'll be like, Oh yeah, that's that's Skylar Diggins. I'm like, oh how much how many points did she average last year? Did you know she was injured last year? Like, you know, they won't know. So I just wanted to put that in the air because I yes. It's fun to have fun on the internet and talk about these things. But you don't know who you're affecting and who's seeing this. There's a lot of young girls out there on the internet that will see this. And automatically, even this girl and her family, they're seeing this. I don't know how she's taking it personally, but it's like she's playing in the Olympics. This isn't like she's a pushover that can't play the game. She's in the Olympics. And yet we're thinking more about what she's wearing and what she looks like. I don't know. I'm off my soapbox right now. That <laughs> just wanted to put that out there. If you have thoughts, 516-900-2278. Was that, was that too much? Or was no, I, just, I think it was just the right amount. Just the right amount. I went over time a little bit, but it's cool. <laughs> just wanted to make sure I got that out there. Because I was like, you know, I, I get it. She's beautiful, but pay attention to what she's about. Yeah. That's that's it. Just, just saying that. <laughs> but with that being said, we're going to step aside, take a break. You're listening to Sports Social with Ed Easton here on Southcast FM.
1: Guys, We are now entering the gray area and today we're going to be talking about the WNBA fines that were announced last night and they were given to the Indiana Fever, the Minnesota Lynx and the New York Liberty all for their the players showing their support towards the Black Lives Matter movement you can say and you know just paying their respect to the two men who lost their lives on July 7th and I forgot the other date, but basically just showing their support to that whole incident. And the players wore shirts. The New York Liberty, you know, actually wore black t-shirts that said Black Lives Matter. I believe the Indiana Fever and the Minnesota Lynx did the same, some sort of variety of that. And their finder finally announced just last night. The reason why I'm bringing this up is because this is, you know, this situation is a gray area. Like, you know, it's how how you know how do we justify a situation like this? Is it is it the right move by the league? Is it not the right move? You know, should players have this freedom of the speech? Freedom of speech, and I have mixed feelings about it as well. You know, it was an issue that really kind of shook the world up because it's just a consistent situation that happens too often. So, you know, we as a fans say we need to start seeing players speak up and show their support. You know, because they have a platform to do this. But then when they do do this, they get penalized for it. So it's kind of a reason why you probably don't see a lot of athletes, you know, bring it up on that type of platform, you know, know, at games and stuff. So some teams, you know, found ways to compromise, you know, and probably use their social media to send their support or other ways, you know, not regarding, you know, changing their uniforms up. The Liberty actually came to a compromise that they will not wear the Black Lives Matter t-shirts, but they will continue to wear black t-shirts that do have the Adidas logo on it. So that was their compromise, and I believe they will not get fined anymore since they came to that compromise with the league. Um, The Minnesota Lynx said that they they won't do anything to their uniform, but they will find another platform to support. This is something that we see very often. We've seen it in the NBA before. We've seen it a lot of times in the NFL, and... In in these situations, like for the, and in, for instance, in the NFL, a player wore you know purple cleats to show his support towards domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Another player had you know the eye tags for you know showing awareness to breast cancer because he lost his mother, or a family member to breast cancer. You know, and these things are bringing awareness, and for players to get fined for it is just beyond me. It's it's very unfortunate, but then I look at. You know, I try to look at the league's view of seeing this as, you know, they have, they have fans, they have ticket holders and people that they want to please. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, supporting breast cancer and domestic violence, I don't see how that would, you know, how they need to remain neutral. You know, those are, those are real core situations that, you know, awareness should be brought to. I understand the situation when it comes to the whole black lives matter because there's that argument that, you know, black lives matter versus all lives matter. And which is complete nonsense to me. I I speak out about how I find that completely, you know, stupid that there's even an argument with that. And I guess, you know, some people do take offense to that. You know, hashtag Black Lives Matter. that's probably why the league does not want players to associate themselves with that. And it's it's just messed up because they're trying to deliver a message. You know, this is how they truly feel. It doesn't matter what their skin color is. They just want to represent the fact that black lives do matter and what's funny to me is that we had you brought up earlier the la sparks who Mm -hmm. had all lives matter across their um you know like their their little board in the arena and that i was completely thrown off by that because it's like you know you they made i don't know who was in charge of doing that it was a bad
0: move bottom line there was no reason to do that
1: there's 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 not a good history with that hashtag all lives matter. No. It's one of those like it's it's kind of like a clap back at the black lives matter. It is. So in a wake of a situation where two black men lost lost their lives, why are you putting all lives matter? You know what I mean? Why are you why are you doing that? It's that you could have totally went without doing that at all.
0: Extremely irresponsible. That's the number one way to look at it because it's 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 ridiculous the fact that we're talking about this in 2016, where people don't understand what people are talking about. Like, you see all these Black Lives Matter protests. How do you not understand what what the the fight is about? Because All Lives Matter putting that up there just says I don't know what's going on, but I want to be involved. That means you don't understand why people are saying this. Why
1: these violence?
0: This violence is only affecting the black. This only affecting black lives.
1: For me, saying putting the All Lives Matter hashtag isn't saying I don't know what's going on. It says I know exactly what's going on. And you, you African Americans or people who are supporting Black Lives Matter, are playing the victim role. That's how I take it as. It's like it's like, oh, you guys are just concerned about yourself. What? It's not just only Black people aren't the only people in the world who matter. Everybody matters. Mm. You know, it's like, it's like, God forbid, a family member of mine, you know, dying, and I'm saying, oh my God, you know. I can't believe this. I'm so sad about this. Somebody commenting, oh, well, my mother died two years ago. You know, yeah, it's, like, you know what it's i mean? A, it's, it's, like, a, it's a clapback. It's, it's a clapback. Yeah. It's like just completely taking away from what the hashtag means. The su- what, it's support. Mm-hmm. It's support to the African American community. It's support to the people who lost their lives. Do this. I understand that cops shouldn't be losing their lives. And I'm completely. Oh, I agree. I'm it completely be. against that. That's, yeah. like, I do understand. Everybody's life matters. Nobody should, nobody should lose their life over anything pointless. But it's the fact that I can't even count on my fingers how many people have how many black men, black people lost their lives due to this violence with cops.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And that's what that's what some players and some teams, you know, want to show their support for. Mm -hmm. Them getting fined has nothing to do with you know the league being racist or anything or any of that. It has to do with their uniform policy, and it's just. with all the situations and all the things that have been going on in different leagues, like domestic violence, the whole Ray Rice situation, yeah. you know, and then, you know, breast cancer is something that all leagues support, you know, the NFL supports breast cancer in October. And then, you know, the NBA has their time. Everybody has. So it's like, why can't they just do that?
0: Well, this is why it's because remember all these pla all these teams are owned. Most, most of them are, are white owners. Let's be real. Black lives matter. Is a con- for a lot of them, it's very controversial because a lot of people, like you said, how you just explained it, do not understand what it means. They see it as being more of a radical group that's trying to attack white people and cops. That's the way they're looking at it now. Yeah. That's the picture they're trying to paint. Right. So if you're one of those owners that obviously are making millions of dollars, you own teams, you don't want to see that. You don't want to see players for a team that you own representing something that could be attacking what you're about.
1: True. But what I'm trying to get in is the whole uniform policy how, you know, players it's, don't have that freedom and maybe the league should look into lifting some rules and giving players, you know, the allowance to... I'm trying to look past the whole Black Lives Matter situation. I think it's
0: also... But this is something that's been going on forever, right? You, if you hold the whole Adidas thing, Adidas is the uh, official uniform, right, for them, it's about the money because Adidas is paid for that type of advertisement.
1: Yeah, I know. That's why. No, I understand that, but I'm saying when they want to bring awareness, it doesn't have anything to do with... Like, if they still have the brand, you know. But if I'm talking about like the NFL player who had like, you know, find a cure for cancer on his his eye things, what does that have to do with any brand? You know what I mean? But they will allow you to do it if obviously they they supply you with the with the um, the material and stuff like that. If they supply you with the eye marks that says find a cure, then cool, you won't get fined. But if you make it upon yourself, then you're gonna get fined for it. Right. But I'm just saying, like. In ways that are building awareness, I feel like the rules should be lifted semi in some type of sort of way, some compromise Mm -hmm. where they could use their platform on the big stage at the games to bring awareness. I like I said, I understand Black Lives Matter being a completely controversial situation. That's why I kind of don't fault the league for finding them, but the league didn't fault them because it literally said Black Lives Matter. They they faulted them. I mean, they find them because it was a uniform situation, right? So. That's that's the real issue, the uniform situation. Will the players still, you know, voice their their opinion on Black Lives Matter? Yeah, of course they will, because they're able to do that. So I like the fact that they still, you know, could use their platform in that way. They just, we just can't, as fans, our supporters expect to see it on a main stage, like at games, mm-hmm. and players take that big leap. And it's unfortunate, because that's, that's something powerful to see. Another issue I feel like, I feel like, players from the L.A. Sparks, nobody really confronted the fact that they did the whole All Lives Matter thing. Right. Nobody confronted that, and I would have loved to see players, especially because there are a lot of African-American players on the L.A. Sparks, mm-hmm. I would have loved to see them take a bigger stand and, you know, maybe explain why they, why they did that.
0: I, I think a lot of these players, it, it sucks because the WNBA is such a tough league to, to try to do it with because they, they don't make money that like, they, you know, like most of these other leagues. So a lot of these players, when it comes to that stand, one is it going to get the is it going to get the right exposure? Because let's be honest, they've done this, but it still hasn't gotten national exposure. Only we know about it because we follow the WNBA and some other networks that may want to talk about it for a second. But it hasn't gotten that huge exposure. So if you're a player, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to you know make this 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 stand right, take the stand about how I feel about the whole Black, Li- Black Lives Matter movement and such, and wear what I want to wear. It's not going to get the same effect as if an NBA player did it.
1: But listen, I'm just an average girl from Brooklyn, and I don't—nobody probably seen my tweets going on about the Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter thing, but I still did it because I'm African-American woman, and it affects me. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is the players should have used their platform. It doesn't matter what exposure it's going to get. It just shows—I'm not saying you have to, but I'm saying I would have loved to seen it because I want to know, are you being affected by the situation if so, speak on it because you have this platform. It doesn't matter if three people are seeing it or 3,000 people are seeing it. It still will be seen. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, it speaks volumes. It picks up some traffic. You know, if one if one player takes that leap, then another player might feel the same way. and am like, you know, oh, I actually don't have to have my feelings. I can do it as well because, you know, a leader of my team did it or another player. You know, it will bring some type of pack together or whatever. Right.
0: And I And I get what you're saying. It's just it's tough cuz a lot of people are stuck in that mentality that you know, oh, is it going to really matter what i say? And i I, and I was watching some of the stuff that was being talked about from the liberty and from the links that were, you know, protesting it. And you have some strong leaders on those teams. Yeah. You realize not all the teams did it. It depends on who's on there, who's a the strong personality.
2: Yeah.
0: You know, we know we know a couple of people and and i don't want to call i don't know if Sky Diggers did she say anything about it?
1: I'm not sure. I don't keep track of her social media, but nothing that got but-
0: the reason why I say that is because she's such a known person. She's such a known name for her brand. Yeah. She didn't really touch it. Like I thought that maybe I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say oh man she should have, but think about it. In the NBA, the people that were wearing this was like Kobe Bryant, Derrick Rose when he was doing the um I can't breathe shirts. Yeah. National attention because right. of the player. Yeah,
1: exactly.
2: In the
0: brand, the players who wore it may not have been the most. known. Maya Moore is known she obviously wore it and she spoke about it. Yeah. That's how we know about this now. But if there were certain players, like let's say it was just um a player that is a first year player, we don't know who she is, yeah. It's not gonna be a big it's not gonna be a big deal. That's really how people look at it at it the end of the day, it is,
1: yeah. It's just annoying to me because it's like a puzzle. It's like okay it has to be the right person wearing it It has to be the right team, you know. It's just I know. it's just raising it's just raising awareness. But it's true. That's how it has to be in order to pick up traffic in order for a actual stance to be made, out, for an actual thing to be you know for it's actually make a difference, it has to, it depends on who it is and who's the player and all that stuff. So it's just it's just stressful. It's like we can, we want to depend on these athletes, but it's like we can't, you know.
0: No, you really can't. You can't put all your your hope that you know such and such is going to say something and it's going to really matter all the time. Exactly, I just think that. We put too much on athletes as it is in regards to what their responsibility is. Because half of them are not these type of people. They're just good players. Yeah. They're not very boisterous. They're not going to be the activist type to step up and say, oh, let's march in. Let's do this. Not everybody's going to be like that. Michael Jordan wasn't like that. Like, yeah. Let's be honest, you know? Exactly. He was the biggest athlete of them all.
1: I definitely don't, like, look at them any differently for not doing it. It's always nice to, you know, see it. But if they don't do it, you know, it can't fault them. Me, personally, I don't be- Like, I won't say I don't believe in protesting, but that's something I won't do. And, you know, and some people are like, if you're, you know, I see it a lot of quotes on social media. If you're not, if you're African-American, you're not getting out there protesting, you're part of the problem.
0: Mm, I heard about that, too. You hear about it often. Mm -hmm. It's
1: like, no, I'm sorry. That's just not in me. I I won't. I'm not one to cause, you know, a big spectacle. I'm not trying to disrupt anybody's peace. That's not me. I feel like there's other ways to do it. There's, you know, I always believe in just sitting down face to face, talking the problem out. Not I don't need to be loud on the street. I don't need to be, you know. Going crazy, yelling in people's faces—that's not that's not what I do. Some people do that, and it's powerful. It's their it's their platform. It works for them. Mm-hmm. But what may work for one person may not work for the other, and that's what happens a lot in these leagues because it's like, all right, there's one player from the team who's speaking out, but I won't.
2: Yeah,
0: and that's and that's sad. That's how it really comes down to. It's uh, it, it's really tough to act that, especially with a league with the WNBA because they go through so much as it is. They're just trying to make money to stay afloat.
1: Exactly. That's why the fines for the players are only five hundred dollars each. You know, and it's like, you know it's, you know it least that getting paid, well, if me who just got out of college and I'm broke, I could pay the fine if I had to.
0: Exactly. I know.
1: You know what I mean? It's so terrible. It's like, it says a lot compared to the $2,500 fines players get in the NBA or wherever, you know, or $5,000 fines they get in the NFL for doing that. You know, it's, it's crazy.
0: It's terrible. It really is. There is no positive, you know, way to look at it. It's just terrible.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a sticky situation, but I still, you know, I do like that t- teams like the Liberty decided to compromise and still wear black shirts and, you know, still keep that thing going. Because they could have easily just been like, all right, whatever, fine. We'll go back to our regular wars. But they kept it going because they believe in it. You see the players have, you know, Alton Sterling's, Alton Sterling's name written on their their sneakers or, mm-hmm. you know, pieces of their clothing. like You still see that, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to do that and it's it's good for their families as well, as well to know that these people I've never met before but you know still have some type of platform still have some type of attention are out there representing you know my family member's life you know it's 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 a beautiful thing but we can't see it from everybody we're not going to expect it from everybody i think that this time around we did get a lot of good coverage from athletes but i'm not it doesn't it doesn't excite me cuz in the next next couple of months, it could be another outrage. Yeah. You know? And then it's like, when, when is, we have to wait for the point when, when are people going to get tired and when are people going to give up?
0: I, you know what? Like, I, I look at it like this. We put so much emphasis on how athletes should be and how they should act and what can be done with these all these different outrages. This has been going on from the beginning of time. We saw the whole stance that Carmelo, Chris Paul, and LeBron did at the SBs you know d wade and you see there's an attempt to make it happen but we do live in a world that is just not everybody's unified not everybody is on the same page yeah you know i I could give you even from another perspective the republican national convention i think yesterday ted cruz refused to endorse donald trump in his own party yeah i've never seen that at a convention that just lets you know. They're not even unified on that front. Even though we don't, like, let's say, you know, we're Democrat, Republican, we don't believe in the same things. But to see, like, in a Republican Party, they're not even unified with that. Like, it just lets you know that there is, there's no way of breaking it down. There are Black Lives Matter people that are not on the same page as well. Yep. It's, nobody's on the same page. That's always been our biggest thing. And, and I'm kind of just focusing on this country as a whole. Nobody has one plan. It's never been like that. That's why you're always going to have these breakups, these uh, split-ups in, in mentalities. You have to bring it back to the Black Panther movement, you know, and you saw how we got the Crystal Bloods, exactly, all that stuff. Yeah. It all happens because no one's on the same page. Everyone has a different way of looking at things. It's life. Exactly. They put it on TV. You could go back to Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, different opinion on how to handle a situation. I, you know, I, I joke about it because it's going to be like this. This is how the world works. Yeah. Hell, do I, I can't even go to the the comics. Uh, X Men It's the same thing. That's what it's all about. You know, we're for mutants and humans. Someone just for mutants. It's like that's that's the mentality.
1: Yeah, and then it doesn't help when there's people pointing the finger. It's like we should be unified, but instead, it's like. People are pointing the finger at athletes. Like, why are you doing it? I mean, I never... And not even athletes, just celebrities. I never forget one time when somebody... There was a meme going around of Kim Kardashian. Like, you sleep with African-American men. You have an (laughs) African-American son. But yet, you haven't spoken out about it. And it's like... Wait, Kim... Why does she? Why are you... And it, it was a meme that was going around. Like, somebody literally posted a meme of her. Like, but yet, you're posting selfies in your bathing suit. I'm sorry. Like, who, what did she do? Did she pick up the trigger? Like, did mm-hmm. she call the cop and be like, hey, there's this guy outside selling Why? And, like, she she did write up writing something about it. And the thing is, like, I, I like the fact that she took her own time. She didn't, like, see the meme and be like, oh, my God, I need to do it now. She took her own time and went about it in her way. Because mm-hmm. that shows that I don't have to listen to any of you guys. If you guys want to speak about it, you speak about it on your time. You cannot pressure other people into doing it. And that's pointing the finger. And that's not, that's that's not, not what it's cause. about.
0: That's not what it's about. But that's where it goes to that the division. Yeah. You know?
1: It's a sticky situation. This is this
0: is life. We just basically gave a discussion not just about the WNBA about the WNBA situation, but this is just life in general. This yeah. is something that's going in this country forever.
1: And it's just going to keep unfolding and then it's just like you either support the movement or you don't support the movement, but my only advice and it's going to be my final word is like if you support the movement, be open to unity. Yeah. Be open to letting people go you know, go at their own pace. Do do their own way of doing things, as long as they're supporting it. Mm-hmm. That's that's all I could say. You can't point the finger because you're taking away. You're showing the hate that you're you're yelling about. You're adding to the hate. You have to. It's all about uni- unity. Will we get that one day? Who knows. But if you support a cause, be open to the mind of unifying the situation as well.
0: I 100 percent agree, and that wraps up. Another segment of the Gray Area with Miss Naomi Gray. Just keeps getting deeper and deeper, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it's all about. Life lessons. Life lessons yeah. every time you tune in. So keep, <laughs> keep tuning in every time. This is Sports Social with Ed Easton here on Soundcast FM.
3: I get hypnotic with the moon, but you got to put me down soon. I flip a sideshow if you come my way, up, down, and around, even sideways. I'm about as ready as the light can get. We can go all out. I ain't afraid of the sweat, but yet, I bet you got the techniques to freak a girl inside out. What's that all about? Can I have some of that? You gotta put me on. Word around town is your nine men strong. I'm one of First day, I think it was the Thursday You be that brother that I wanna sink my teeth in Make me wanna ask, where the hell you been? I like the way you be with all that personality But I got flavor too,
2: you needs to get with me
3: Clothes look at the cut coupons. On Creek got the heat so bluffin' Slang it's the because it's more than 20 duckin' Struck kind of rich. Now his pockets looking straight. Slam the D's on the benzo pancake by the gate. Mom's looking straight with her half. She got great lounging in her new home. That's about the yeah. stay Only your corn mail won't tell. You can get it when you want it, even though you got chicks all up on it. Woo. Don't matter because. You fly, I can't lie I've been macking, daddy from the corner of my eye Now, baby, bring it on Don't be frontin' on your baby boo All I wanna know is what's up with you How can I get with you? Seems like you gotta hold on me It must be
2: voodoo Cause baby, I want you
3: About so big, uh-huh. about so small, yeah. about this length, uh-huh. about this width, uh-huh. about this flow, right. about this gift. Yeah. Instinct me and me right up your alleyway. Skip the moet, let's chill with some Alice. Enough stress in our day. Let me massage your mind as my mental Ooh. starts to play. I'll get on sauce you are, and I'll be your sexual chocolate bar. And I gotta keep strong yeah. for the course, and you gotta keep strong for the tours, brother man and me, damn the family, what else could we be with? No one understands us but me? you are the first to change, uh, big teeth, I'm out.
2: Oh.
3: is in the house And
0: you don't stop Until the body don't And we're back Sports Social Eddie's here On Southcast FM We just had a nice Very uh, How can I say We, we are turning into That type of show where We are like a mixture Of politics and sports now Because we went in On uh, your recent segment Of The Gray Area Yeah And You know it's It's something to really discuss And I don't know if this is a good transition into, like, fighting and such, but Odell Beckham Jr. Mm -hmm. fighting with Josh Norman still. This fight will never end. I don't know if there's ever going to be a kumbaya moment between the two. But he's come out again and said that, you know, uh, he's the reason why Josh Norman is relevant. Mind you, these two teams will face each other twice. He will be because Josh Norman's on the Redskins now. Yeah. They're they're in the same division. They're going to face each other at least twice, barring injury. What do you expect from these two? Do you expect another fight fight the breakout? Because they're going to be lined up against each other. He's going to be a top corner. He's a top, top wide out. It's going to be inevitable. They're going to be...
1: Extreme, like, <laughs> it's going to be a high contact situation, of course. So it's like, are you... It's For me, For me, it's just... It's Did it's you pride. learn your lesson? No. Or, or nah. That's <laughs> it. Or nah. Like, I think did the answer you, is nah. Exactly. So it's like... I feel like that first game is going to be very physical. They're going to be, you know, trash-talking, doing the whole nine. But I think by the second game, it's going to be like, all right, this is this is ridiculous. You don't need it. I hate when players try to play the tough guy. You know, I used to argue with a friend last season. They're like, I don't like Odell because he's trying to play the tough guy all the time. I'm like, listen, that's all he is. You know, he's he showboats. He does what he does. He dances yeah. crazy. But now it's kind of like, all right, now it's okay the rookie year the sophomore year but then you have to mature after a while because mm-hmm. after a while it gets old it gets right. immature mm-hmm. And the beginning, we expect that you're fresh out of college you're getting all this media attention you're a great player do what you want warm up to people either they love you or they hate you but now it's like don't egg anything on like I mean I know Josh Norman's probably talking crap oh of, of course but it's just like I mean he's gonna clap back soon in, in so other words Beckham's
0: ahead. a bigger star you shouldn't be bringing more attention to a situation exactly. you should just be like, bigger than that
1: and last last season I actually thought Josh Norman was in the wrong like I was all I've was. Oh, i always been T-Modell and he was in the wrong Josh
0: Norman was in the wrong but he was in the right because his job was to get under Beckham's skin yeah, and he, and did. he did he definitely and he did, did. That's the job as a corner. Deion Sanders did it all the time, except that Deion Sanders never got into huge fights like that. Exactly. But he—that's what you do. You get into the other the wide receiver's head.
1: Exactly, and he did. And then Odell, you know, by coming back at him and you know fighting back, he made a name for himself. Like, okay, he—he's not a punk. Everybody thinks he's a yeah. punk. You know, there's rumors about him being gay or whatever. hmm He's not a punk. You already established yourself. Now I hope that you don't go back out there fighting. You just play a better. You play at that position way better than him. Yeah. You show who's the better player. And I think, I, be- I, I believe that Odell is a better player. You know, not just me being as a Giants fan, but just being what I've seen. I think he's more talented. Oh, yeah, he's,
0: he's definitely a better player. It's, it's just a matter of uh, observing the fact that you are a top player now in this league, top 10 player. You've got to carry yourself in that manner
1: exactly like, you know? don't ruin that for and yourself don't. I think it's
0: going to make life a lot easier from having Victor Cruz healthy I don't know if you saw the highlights um, well Victor Cruz has been practicing yeah. he put up on his um, Instagram a yeah. video of him making cuts no problem he says he's not in any pain anymore Exactly. having a healthy Victor Cruz a guy that's a could be a mentor Come Remember, Victor Cruz won a Super Bowl he was a reason why they won that Super Bowl in 2011 I remember the guy is now is going to be the leader in a sense he's going to have that mentality of talking to a guy like Beckham keep him on the right path because Cruz let's be honest he's trying to make his way back up to where he was yeah he knows how to be at the top everybody loves you then all of a sudden you get hurt and everybody forgets about you he'll explain that to Beckham and he'll mature that's what I think
1: that's what it is that's what I'm hoping for too because like I said the talent's there I don't I always hate when you know their talents are blurred out by all the shenanigans and the storyline I love me a good rivalry but Mm -hmm. take it out in the game in the right way Prove oh, you're yeah. better. Let's see some good football. Good Let's football. Let's see some good action. I don't want to see, you know, somebody's face guard getting pulled to the ground. You know, you guys going back and forth like a, like cats and whatnot. I don't need <laughs> to see that.
0: Especially yeah. when you're
1: paying good money for these games.
0: Oh, say. yeah. It's it's expensive. It's yeah. too expensive. I'm going to try to go to at least two games this year. So, yeah, exactly. we're working that out. I got to first now. I got to measure it out because I got Knicks games. It's, it's a lot going on. All yeah. right? So <laughs> you got to earn my money, Odell. Right. Um, <laughs> You got that situation, and I was talking about earlier. Uh, Jeff Gordon coming out of retirement to uh, race. This got me thinking. Who do you feel like, if you had to name like three former players, three, two, yeah, three or two or three that came back out of retirement that you feel like should have like they they succeeded, like their whole whatever they were trying to prove, they succeeded in proving their point.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna have to be so basic by saying, okay, first number one Magic Johnson, okay. To Jordan. I have to, to be Jordan. basic. Okay. I have to because fine. Magic Johnson, you know.
0: The Aids and.
1: Yeah. And it's like, you know, like at first growing up, I always heard about it. But then just like to really think about what he did, like dealing with players, not wanting to be, yeah. you know, in the same locker room with him. To like not want to be showered up to me. Be-
0: do you know how crazy it was? And I'm sorry to cut you off because he was um, he retired in 91. Yeah. At the end, the beginning of the 92 season, 91-92 season. So he missed that year. He played in the All-Star game that year. Yeah, was, I was going gonna to come, to that, yeah. He was going to come back that following year. He played in the preseason for the 93 season, but he got a cut yep. during the game. You saw the documentary. He yeah. got a cut during the game, and they got people looking at him like, yep. whoa. You know,
1: and like then you seen how some players just speak out. I was like, I didn't care. Yeah, but a lot. But, but that. Carl nobody, Malone cared.
0: He said he had a problem with it exactly, right away. Yeah, yeah.
1: and it's just it had to do with them not being. They didn't know. It was. They didn't know what was going. They didn't know about the status of that disease because yeah. back then it was it was the AIDS. It was like, death. It was the it. AIDS. Yeah, like, you're oh just nah. gonna die. that's, yeah. that's what he. do you cough on me? I'm gonna get it. Like don't. That's what it was. So for him to just you know, pick up enough courage to go back out and put on a performance like he did in the All-Star Game and to even mm-hmm. rethink about getting back in the league with players who are just kind of iffy about being around you. Yeah. And not only that, like, you have, you know, your family life. Like, you have a wife who was pregnant with your child at the time and, you know, you risked her life, you know. It's just, it's a lot. Emotionally, I couldn't even imagine, you know, where his mind was. So for him to pick up the courage and have a comeback performance like he did in the All-Star Game, Yeah. more proud of him. And it sucks because his career was definitely cut short. He he's. He was an amazing player, amazing. Like for the what he did in that time, it's still like
0: it's it's people are
1: still trying to do what he's done. So I agree, number one. And then Jordan, of course, you know, come back in all those champions. It's just amazing. Mm-hmm. You you mentioned Brett Favre, so who, I, who are I think top?
0: I well I had Magic in my, You took my two. Well, so, and I got to put Brett Favre. The reason my reason for Magic was to come back and prove to people, yes, I can play in this league still, and that the disease is not going to hurt you. Yeah, I course. thought that was huge. You know. Yeah. Um, Michael Jordan coming back really into a league where he was needed because we weren't ready to let him go the first time around. You know, he left obviously because his dad passing and his head wasn't in the game. I get that. But we weren't ready for it. So him coming back and finishing the job, giving us three more titles, it was important. Then you got Brett Favre who people didn't want to see him end his career throwing an interception to the Giants and the Giants winning the '07 7 you know, Super Bowl because of it. (laughs) Nobody wanted to see that happen. But he came back with the Jets. That got me a little iffy. He had an okay season with the Jets. Then he's like, I'm going to retire again. Retires for a second time. And then the Minnesota Vikings call and say, hey, can you come back and play for us? And we're like, oh, you're crazy. What is wrong yeah. with you? Brett Favre has probably is his best statistical season ever with the Minnesota Vikings. No,
1: flawless. Like, flawless season. Yeah.
0: L- almost leads him to a Super Bowl. Right. You know, until they had the Bounty Gate game. But that's a whole other story comes back, you know, finishes his career with a horrible season cuz he was done. And that was it. So,
1: it showed his passion though for the for the sport. It 100%. Showed him, it showed his passion and it's like that you have to you cannot not respect that.
0: I can not you cannot not respect that. I think the guy is a warrior. Um some other people I just want to throw out there really quick in terms of their impact coming back to the game, um George Foreman. I I brought him up because he this is a guy that fought in the 70s. Mm-hmm. He came back well into his 40s, in the 90s, and beat a guy at half his age to win the heavyweight title. <laughs> I still can't understand that. He, this is when he was selling grills and yeah, doing all yeah, that stuff, yeah. bald-headed. He used to have a full of hair in the 70s, fighting Muhammad Ali and all that. Comes back way past his prime and wins the title again. That, to me, is still the most shocking thing I've I, ever that's like the Rocky movie for real. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I always bring that up. I just think that's huge. Um, I, I don't know. For me, that's I'm going to go with that. That's Those are my lists right now yeah. for guys coming back from retirement. I don't know what to expect with Jeff Gordon. I think this is going to be a, a one-time thing. It's good publicity for NASCAR because people are going to be like, oh, wow, Jeff Gordon. Everybody remembers Jeff Gordon, you know. Yeah. It's, I thought it was a great move. And we'll see how it goes. Earnhardt is going to be out for two weeks See what happens with that. They
1: can pick up the pieces, add some entertainment in those next two weeks.
0: Oh, they get definitely... Need. Entertainment is what they need. Yeah. That's that's a huge deal for them. Um, last thing I want to bring up, Summer League did officially end. They had the, the title game. Uh, you saw the game winner by Denzel Valentine. i seen
2: it on like, social media.
0: Chicago Bulls. It was a fun game between the Bulls and Timberwolves, that last game. That game was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Jerry and Grant, I think, was the, um, the MVP for the tournament. Oh, nice. That was the former Nick, the one that Knicks just traded yeah, just for treated. Derrick Rose. He was the MVP. So shout-out to him. That's something I'm a little worried about, the fact that he's playing good now. <laughs> he could do this with us, but, you know, I'm not going to say anything. Exactly. Uh, so shout-out to him with that situation. And uh, just looking now, you know, the Summer League's officially done. Whatever happens, happens. Yeah. Everybody's just going to be itching for basketball when it hits September, October. We're going to be going crazy for it. But don't worry, football. Less than a month away. Less yes. than a month away from football.
1: Camp is like one week away, now. Yes.
0: Yeah. The Hall of Fame game, first week of August.
1: I'm excited. I'll be at the Jets versus Giants preseason game. Oh, you're officially going? Officially going. Oh, she's officially going. Tickets
0: sealed. Tickets are signed, sealed, and delivered. So make (laughs) sure. We should make a contest. If you see Naomi at the game, take a picture with her. Take a selfie with her, okay? (laughs) The winner gets uh, tickets to another game.
2: (laughs) Paid by who? (laughs) I know a
0: guy. Don't worry. (laughs) But we'll we'll do that. Um, Yeah, we'll see how that goes. And um, we're about to go step aside for a break and when we come back we're talking baseball nothing but baseball naomi gives you that look like this is my exit that's okay (laughs) we're talking baseball hall of fame mike piazza ken griffey jr are officially members of the baseball hall of fame they go and get inducted this sunday you're listening to sports social ed easton here on soundcast fm
4: Turn me
5: the 3-1. Griffey swings! There it goes! Long fly ball, right field! It is a number 600 for Ken Griffey Jr. A no-doubter about halfway up in the lower deck and right. Ken Griffey Jr. circling the bases as they stand here at Dolphin Stadium. That's what they came to see here tonight and from the moment it left the bat, absolutely no question where it was going to end up. So Ken Griffey Jr. ascends to a position that only five others have gone before him. Gary Bonds, Hank Aaron, Babe Ruth, Willie Mays, Sammy Sosa, and put Ken Griffey Jr. in that group right there of those who in the great history of this game of Major League Baseball have reached the 600 home run mark.
0: That was Ken Griffey Jr. hitting his 600th home run back on June 9th of 2008. My goodness, it's a uh, just a um, amazing career for King Griffey Jr. and what he's done for the game of baseball. And uh, for a guy that, like I said, so many injuries, you know, known as the kid, played for so many years for the Seattle Mariners, um, years with the Cincinnati Reds. The guy really was a he was a player. You know, he he went out there did some amazing things on the field, both in the field and in the batter's box. Uh, like I said, I remember him for just making the game so cool. Like, he just did it so effortless. The, the swing was just the sweetest swing I think I've ever seen in baseball. And um, the guy's amazing, and I'm really happy that he's a Hall of Famer, well deserved Hall of Famer. You know, should have been one, in my opinion, it's not even close. Like, it, he should have been unanimous. I, and that's my opinion with it. What I'm going to actually do is play a little bit of his Hall of Fame interview. With the uh, baseball, with the Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum, they did an interview with him leading up to his induction. So this is Ken Griffey Jr. speaking with them in regards to his career.
6: World, that that you did watching their dad play. Um, when you were a kid, was there any was there any doubt in your mind that you were going to play baseball?
7: Uh, you know, my dad let me do whatever I wanted. I mean, um, it wasn't uh, you know one of the things he's like you're going to be a baseball player. It's the only thing you're going to do. I mean, I played football. I played basketball, soccer, uh, tennis. I mean, it it was one of those things, you know, when your kids are active and you keep them in sports, you know, they're not going to get in trouble. So um, he tried to keep us in, you know, all the sports, and we loved it. So um, I was telling everybody um, today that I didn't realize who my dad was until, like, I was in the eighth grade, you know, because he was just dad. And I didn't understand, uh, you know, the magnitude that he had, you know, around the the city and things like that. And um, and he was actually playing for the Yankees. And I had a Yankee starter jacket on and I wore it to school. And some kid was like, your dad plays for the Yankees. I was like, yeah. You know, like it was no big deal because it wasn't a big deal. Um, And I tried to instill some of those things in my kids is that I'm just dad. I just have an abnormal job. Um, but it was fun growing up in there um, you know everybody talks about how you know the big red machine was the best team ever assembled and we keep telling them uh... they were the second best team in the city because they couldn't beat us <laughs> so the father and son games we always won uh... so we were a better team than them so we have bragging rights
6: right. obviously your dad had a profound effect on you and your, your parents Uh, had a major influence. You talked about that a little bit at the press conference yesterday. Uh, But were there others that helped you develop your your talents in baseball, whether it was Little League or high school ball?
7: Um, Pretty much everybody said, uh, leave leave him alone. (laughs) Uh, I've had uh, great coaches um, that, you know, were, you know, they would talk to my dad and say, hey, here's what he's doing. Is there anything I need to tell him, you know, as a coach? And, you know, that's how he relayed information to me was through the coach. He didn't want to step on the coach's toes by saying, no, you don't listen to him. This is how you do it, blah, blah, blah. He was just, uh, you know, one of those guys that uh, had an open line of communication from, you know, the coaches to him, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it made it easier. So when he addressed everybody, the coach, uh, if I did something wrong, he pointed out. And I, I, He's always told me that you're no different than everybody else. You know, just because you have the the last name Griffey and I play baseball, um, you know, you're no different. You've got to go out there and and earn your way just like everybody else. And you know, I really uh, respect and admire that. Is that uh, admired that is that I was able to, you know, go out there, do things my way, and not have a dad sit there and go, mm-hmm, looking over my shoulder uh, when I had questions. He would answer them. If I didn't. He wouldn't say a word. Um, you know, he, he would let me get in enough trouble, <laughs> as every dad would. Right. He was like, nah, you might want to do it this way. But, you know, he let me feel my way around. Um, even when I played with him, he was that way. He was like, this is your team. I'm happy to be here. And, uh, you know, go out and play. And we had a, a great time.
6: So at what point in your development did you see that that dream of playing ball was really within – your grasp. At what point did you see that?
7: Um, I had a friend of mine get drafted the year before, Lee May Jr. Um, actually it was Lee May Jr., Dante Johnson, uh, and Tuffy Rose. It was uh, an outfield. We were all in the outfield. I was the only junior. Those guys get drafted and they're gone. I was like, I went from having this great outfield group to just me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, that's when I knew that I had a, a chance to play. Because we never really talked about, oh you can turn pro out of high school. Mm-hmm. It was uh you're going to school, you're going to school, you're going to school and you know the focus was always you know 4 years later. It mm-hmm. wasn't next year. And then when Lee got drafted I went home I was like you can get drafted out of high school. He was like yeah. I was like I never knew that. He was like exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not not everybody gets drafted out of high school. And um and that's when I realized that you know I could turn pro out of high school and I was like okay here we go.
6: Did you, did you feel like you had to turn it up a notch or did you just continue playing? Doing I continue, your
7: thing? continue playing. It, it was not that I had to turn it up. I mean, once you're, you know, I learned at an early age, once you're on the, the field in between those white lines, it's just you. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you do something good or bad, they're going to talk about it. You might as well try to do all the good things. You're going to mess up. Be a, if you mess up, make an aggressive mistake. Don't mess up, you know, on something that you wish you could take back later.
6: So, 97, or 87, I'm sorry, you're, you're drafted by the Mariners with the first pick. Uh, you sign with them, you begin your, your short uh, minor career. Talk a little bit about that time in the minors.
7: Um, it was long. You know, 17 years old, you know, 3,000 miles away. Uh, I think the phone bill was a little expensive, you know, calling home every day. And that's when you can call home and collect. Right. <laughs> So, uh, uh, you know, just learning how to do things. You know, you don't have your mom and dad right there to say, uh, no. You know, you had to figure things out, you know, from washing your clothes to, okay, do I separate this? Or do I do this? do you hot water here, cold water here? Uh, okay, what do I need to take to the dry cleaners? All these things that, you know, your parents took care of while you were still under their house, in their house. And... It was just wild, I mean, because everything is now on you. Plus, you know, I think I was making $700 a month. Had three roommates, one from Florida, two from California. Actually, I take that back. One from New York, one from California, one from Florida. And uh, I still talk to the one from Florida uh, because he lived an hour away from me, so we get a chance. He's a high school baseball coach. So uh, we get a chance to, to catch up, but uh, it, it was pretty crazy, you know, 17, you know, get, I got, I signed on June 2nd, which was the uh, day of the draft, mm-hmm. June 3rd was my brother's birthday, June 4th, I graduate high school, June 8th, I'm in Seattle, June 16th, or somewhere around there, I'm playing my first game. So it was a
6: uh, bit of a whirlwind. Yeah. Yeah. So in your first major league game, you come to the plate to face uh, ace, ace uh, Dave Stewart. Um, promptly announce your arrival with a double off of this guy. Um, do you remember what it felt like walking to the plate that first time? And, and, and what, you, what were you thinking that this guy, this ace of the staff, is throwing to you?
7: Um, you know, not being intimidated by, by guys who are in the big leagues because I've been around them all my life. I think that was the the biggest thing. Even though you have the, the butterflies of you know this is your first at bat. You know it, it's nothing, it's not new but it's new. Mm-hmm. And uh, went up there, you know, took the first pitch and then I was like all right we can start swinging now. And uh, he happened to throw something I could hit and hit it left center and you know, got the second. Looked at the third base coach like I always do, gave him you know, this one out, and, and um, kept it moving. So I didn't try to overthink you know, my, my plate appearance. It was just like, you know, this is a normal thing. I've done it so many times, let's just keep, keep going.
6: Okay. Uh, you share a connection with another legendary Hall of Famer. Um, you are born in the same town as Stan Musial, born on his birthday. Your grandfather played ball with him. That's an incredible coincidence. Did, that, did you think about that at all?
7: Uh, yeah. Um, you know, the times that I go into St. Louis, uh, Stan would come in and he'd be, you know, he'd, I'd, you'd have to pass their locker room and he'd be sitting there and be like, I've been waiting on you. <laughs> uh, and, you know, he, he was one of those guys that you look forward to, to seeing. Upbeat. He would tell me stories about my grandfather. Um, He told me that my grandfather was the greatest athlete he's ever played with. Um, I didn't really know my grandfather, Mm -hmm. so listen to him talk about it. Like, okay, all right. I finally get you know. uh, I got a picture of him and Stan when they were in high school. So it was kind of crazy. You know, I got a chance to talk to him about, you know, life growing up in, in Denora. Uh, I started school in Pennsylvania and then moved to Cincinnati. Uh, finished out high school there. But just having those ties and having, you know, somebody that, okay, he played. He's a Hall of Famer. I was born on the same day, same town, a few years apart. <laughs> but for him to come in there and take time out to tell me about my grandfather, like I said, who I've never really had a conversation
6: with him, Uh, was pretty cool. So this summer, uh, your plaque is going to hang in the Hall of Fame gallery alongside the likes of Babe Ruth and Henry Aaron and Stan Musial. Um, you forever from this point on be referred to as Hall of Famer Ken Griffey Jr. Quite gotten your head around that yet?
7: Uh, no. Tried a couple things at the house that didn't seem to work. You know, wanted my, my kids to call me emperor. <laughs> it didn't fly. <laughs> uh you know. But uh no, it it really hasn't. I mean the last couple days have been just a, a whirlwind. I mean, uh, you know, from the call to the next morning flying here, doing the press conference, doing this, doing that, uh the stock exchange. Uh, then I'm gonna get on the plane after this and fly to Seattle to do another press conference. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, pretty, pretty cool. Uh, a lot of fun. You just don't know what to expect because they'll say, "Hey, we're going here." I'm like, "Okay," <laughs> uh, you know, because they'll, you know, as they're prepping you for these things, you know, make sure you don't have nothing to do around January 6th around 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in a couple days after that and you know now uh, that I have kids and you know they're looking at stuff and they're asking me questions because Trey was young but Tevin's 13 so he's like "Oh, so you did all that and I'm like yeah he was like wow so tell me how you played back in the day I'm like back in the day that's how I get back in the day. Like, like I played, he was like, and, and now, you know, the, the slang of young kids is hey, back in the day. I'm like, okay. And uh, so he asked uh, questions to Melissa while I was doing a press conference and they showing video. And he was like, Dad was like that. And he was like, yeah. And uh, he goes, this is really big time. And Melissa's like, yeah. He goes, wow. <laughs> but again, I don't go home. You know, talking about what I did and what I don't, didn't do, but to, I guess I'll have to have the kids practice on me <laughs> when I get home. Uh, yeah, we referred uh, Hall of Famer, Ken Griffey Jr., and they'll probably be like,
0: Sports social Edison here on SoundCast FM. Once again, we're going through the Hall of Famers and just the different Hall of Famers that you know are going in. It's basically Mike Piazza and Kid Griffey Jr. for the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame this Sunday, and uh, just listening to their interviews that they did with the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame itself. Right when they found out they were going to be inducted, just a uh, like I said, two remarkable careers, and uh, to see the way it's played out so far has been crazy. And for all our local, Yan- well, not really Yankee fans, Mets fans, I should say. I'm not a Mets fan. I'm not going to claim it. But uh, you have to be proud of this moment to get a guy like Mike Piazza, especially a guy that supplied a great baseball moment like this.
5: Lopez wants it away.
4: And it's a deep to left center. Andrew Jones on the run. This one has a chance. Come run. Mike Piazza and the Mets lead 3-2.
8: Well, I grew up watching the great Phillies teams of the 70s. Um, I can name most of the guys, you know, Bob Boone, Tim McCarver, Willie Montanez, Dave Cash, Larry Boa, Schmitty, Greg Luzinski, uh, Gary Maddox, Bake McBride, you know, so they they had, and they had some really good pitching too. So those teams were fun, and as a kid growing up, going to the vet was uh, was really where I learned to appreciate the game and really want to try to become a major leaguer.
6: Who, uh, when you were playing ball as a, as a kid, who had the most profound influence on you?
8: That's a good question. I mean, my father was like probably a lot of these guys, I mean, that are, that are here. Their dad probably was instrumental. Mine, mine was too. He just loved the game, and uh, he saw that I probably had a little talent and needed to ref- refine that talent and uh, put me to work you know got me a cage and really wanted me to to work on my game. So it was about 10 or 11 when he said you need to take this seriously cuz you can do this and so he was instrumental.
6: What do you think he saw in you?
8: Uh, I think my demeanor, my focus um, I don't know if I I don't think I had a ton of athletic talent, but I had, you know, good hand-eye coordination and and he saw that I was above the, my peers playing, so he knew that I had the talent to, to at least at that time hit. He never knew I was going to end up catching, but he was definitely instrumental in me becoming a better hitter with, with incentivizing me to practice and work on my game.
6: Was there ever a time when you were uh, growing up playing ball that you really started to think that I could be a major mm-hmm. leaguer? Was there a, was there a moment <clears throat> that you really started to think it was, it was possible?
8: Well, I think when I was fortunate to have um, you know my dad being close with Tommy Lasorda, and then I would go down to the Dodger Phillies games and work out a little bit before the game and be bat boy occasionally. Um, I would hit on the field with with some of the the bench guys early, mm-hmm. and uh, I was hitting the ball pretty hard. And at the time, I felt like I could do this. I mean, I'm not I wasn't hitting the ball too too much uh, lighter than they were at that time, so. Um, but I worked, you know, and I, and I believed in myself and, and had setbacks, you know, because I didn't really have a true position. But for me, it was just continuing to believe that I could do it. It was, it was I knew that I had talent, but I had to find the right position and find the right place to play, right opportunity. When I had uh, signed with the Dodgers, they drafted me because of my bat, more or less. Mm -hmm. But when I had signed, they said, you know, we had just signed Eric Karos and Henry Rodriguez and a couple other really good first basemen. They said, you're definitely not going to play first base, so you better figure it out. And that's when Tommy and my father and me, we kind of put our heads together and figured we better start catching. That was was the, the, the best way, possible way for me to possibly make the big leagues was to catch.
6: Like you said, you drafted in 88. Next season, you're playing low A ball in Salem, Oregon. Mm-hmm. Um, talk about those early days in the minors.
8: Rough, but fun. You know, challenging. Uh, not a lot of money. You know, I lived with three guys. Um, and uh, it was just us against the world in a way. I mean, you, it was bottom of the, of the food chain when it comes to, to baseball. But that, to me, is the, the perseverance part, and that's the part that, uh, as much as it's frustrating at times, it's also a lot of fun. But we worked hard, and we tried to get better, and, and we learned about being a teammate, and learned about uh, you know having to to persevere and, and playing hurt, and you know taking care of yourself, and and that's that's the ultimate litmus test. I mean, that's what I love about baseball is you know most guys have to go come up from the bottom up, and and really. Um, Work their way through it. At least for me, that was that was the way that I really got to appreciate, you know, becoming a big leaguer.
6: So you played a few games with the Dodgers at the end of the uh, '92 season. The following season, your first uh, full uh, year with the club, um, arguably the best season ever by a rookie catcher. Um, talk about that first full season in LA and what it meant to you to be the starting catcher for that team.
8: Well, I was fortunate as Tommy being manager because, you know, they had a great catcher, Mike Sosha, who was there in a mainstay of the team for many years. And and Tommy and, and the general manager made the collective decision to not bring him back because they felt that being a veteran staff, pitching staff, that it would have been tough for me to to, to play because if he was in the background, um, it would have been if I struggled, you know, we want Mike Sosha to catch. We don't want Mike to catch. So... They decided not to bring him back, uh, and the pitchers knew that it was going to be me, and I came up with the veteran staff. I mean, Oral Hershiser, Kevin Gross, Tom Candiotti, Roger McDowell, Jim Gott, um, some really quality major league pitchers on that staff. So I had to learn very quickly what it was about to catch and, and call a good game Ramon Martinez, Pedro's brother. Mm-hmm. So um, that was that was really imperative that I needed to to focus on catching and they needed to know that that was my priority even though I knew I had to hit but they they knew I had to catch as well so it was it was important and I learned a lot.
6: I was going to ask that that pitching staff um, what it must have been like for you was it a little intimidating being the guy behind the plate with that staff?
8: Yes it was and it was uh, also in a way everyone had their own personality I mean Oral was more patient with me in the beginning, he was, like, working with me, whereas Kevin Gross was a little bit more like, you know, get it right, kid. And and he was fun to play and, and play with and catch for. You know, obviously, Tom Candiatty had a knuckleball. So, I mean, here I am, never caught a knuckleball in my life, and I'm catching one of the best knuckleballers, in, arguably, in the history of the game. He was tough to catch, so you know we played that year too you know the giants who had 103 wins and mm-hmm. didn't make the playoffs so yeah it was right from the frying pan into the fire it was it was a trial by fire it was it was a very fun year for me gave me a lot of confidence as well you know after i i started swinging the bat well mm-hmm. that season i was like you know i could hit in this league and i could hit with anybody so that that Gave me the confidence that, that helped me have a, a successful career.
6: So, May of '98, th- 37 games in the season, Dodgers trade you to uh, the Marlins, who then a few days later trade you to the Mets. Despite the seemingly drastic moves, your arrival in New York changed the Mets into a contender. The trade must have been tough for you leaving the Dodgers, but it must have been equally as tough changing markets again. Talk sure. a little bit about that, that whole short couple of weeks.
8: Yeah, and it was it was shocking in a way because, you know, I mean, growing up with Tommy and the Dodgers and having a connection with them and them giving me my opportunity. and It was a weird time in the game and different, mm-hmm. exciting, but challenging. And then, as you mentioned, getting to New York, uh, for me, was a complete culture shock going from the West Coast to the East. I mean, I grew up on the East Coast, so I knew how intense it was, but I forgot a lot of it, you know, right. playing playing in Los Angeles. Right. and. Um, got here and, and the expectations were high right away and I wasn't producing the way they expected. And so it wasn't always, it wasn't the greatest start, you know. But, but at the end of the day, I really said one of two things. I said either this is, place is going to beat me or I'm going to get it done here. And I did everything in my power to try to get it done. And had some great teammates and, and, and guys around me that, were, that allowed me to be comfortable and, and start being productive.
6: You talked at the press conference that you visited the Hall of Fame. You've been in the building. Um, let's talk about your first visit to, to the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. What were your impressions the first time you walked in the building?
8: Well, I think it was my rookie year. We played in the Hall of Fame game. I played Cleveland, I believe. And it was in the morning, the day of the game, and they opened the hall for us to go in there as players um, just to look around, obviously, mm-hmm. without the public coming in because it was Hall of Fame weekend, so there was a lot of people in town. And uh, I got to tell you, I mean, it was, it was great. I mean, I, as a player, you just, you dream of it, you hear of it, you know where it is and you know who's in there. And then when you finally get there, it's kind of like, for me, I guess maybe as a Catholic going to to Rome for the first time. So it's a mini kind of Rome going, you know, as a baseball player. So it's, it's sort of like being at St. Peter's, you know, as a Catholic going to Cooperstown as a, as
6: a ball player. Uh, Wednesday evening your phone rings Uh, you hear the voice of Jack O'Connell on the other end and he's telling you that you've just been elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, What are your first thoughts in that moment?
8: Wow Uh, the moment powerful, um, humbling, grateful, um, surreal only because you start to really think about what it means to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. The fact that it's Everything you worked for your whole life as a kid. You think about the first pitches your dad threw you, you know, underhand as a kid. You think about your first Little League game. You think about the first time you put on the uniform. You think about playing in high school. You think about going to college. You think about all those things and all the people that helped you. I mean, I remember the first day of Little League, you know, and the guy rallying us around saying, okay, run to the position you want to play. And at that time, I was a pitcher, so I ran to the pitcher's mound. He goes, eh, hey, don't go to the pitcher's mound. Don't worry about who's pitching when you get to your team. So then I went to third base and played some third base. So, I mean, you know, that that to me is, it's this whole sort of panorama of, of your life in the game and how special the game is and how much it is given given me. And now this is just, wow, I mean, the the, the true honor of... of and in in a story, in a sense, that realizing that that dreams can come true, and that if you do do the right things and work hard and stay focused and believing in yourself and try to overcome adversity, you can you can achieve. You can you can anything is possible.
0: That was Mike Piazza talking to the Baseball Hall of Fame about his induction and just a little bit about his career. Just the uh, the guy meant so much to the Mets. You know, obviously after the trade, like he was saying. And he talks about his upbringing. Two great guys. we got two Class X going into the Hall of Fame this weekend. What can you expect? This is, uh, this is what baseball is really all about for two players like this to go in. Uh, with that being said, we're going to wrap up today's show. We'll be back on Monday. So enjoy your weekend, everyone. And uh, just be safe. This is Sports Social with Ed Easton here on Soundcast FM signing
8: off.